Welcome to TCN Talks. I'm your host, Chris Como, and the goal of our podcast is 15 to 20 minutes of relevant need to know to help you in your role as a hospice, palliative care, and serious illness leader and team member at all levels of the organization. So our goal is concise and relevant need to know for you in your role. And the bookend of our podcast is always something to make you think deeper about the topic and about life itself. So I'm excited. Our guest today is Marset Hassan. She is the president and CEO of the Carolina Center for Hospice and End-of-Life Care. Welcome, Marset. Hey, Chris. Thank you uh, for having me today. And uh, good afternoon um, to your audience. Uh, time for us to uh, chat it up about what's going on and find out what's on your mind today. Yeah, no. Well, first off, I would love for you to share with our audience just what do they need to know about you? Oh, well, um, you know, I'm a, what I would call a seasoned nurse. I have been uh, a registered nurse now for more than 40 years. This year will be 41 years, actually. And uh, along with that, um, I am a wife and a mother and um, an ordained elder in my church and uh, pretty busy with the association, working with hospice and palliative care providers. So uh, I don't let any grass grow under my feet. So um, life is good. I've got a, a lot of great productive things that I'm engaged in. So, but I love family. So that's awesome. Well, you know, 41 years. I, that's I pretty much figured you started when you were 12, but now I know you actually started nursing <laughs> when you were 12. <laughs> yep, you're right. You got it right. <laughs> Well, when I thought about um, for February, I thought, you know, I really want someone who we can talk about Black History Month and just a leader who I respect and just a leader in the hospice and palliative care community and then also in the African-American community. And you were the tops of my list. So thanks for agreeing to do this. So when we think about equity, diversity, and inclusivity, why should um, hospice and palliative care programs have this at the top of their priority list? Wow. Uh, you know, Chris, that's a that's an excellent question. We have been through so much uh, as a nation. When you think about um, the, the pandemic, we're now in the third year of the public health emergency due to COVID and all the variants. Um, and as you are, are acutely aware, many of our communities of color were impacted greatly. Uh, we've had more than 800,000 uh, deaths in our nation and um, probably 15 to 20 percent of those impacted communities of colors, uh, really unexpected deaths when you think about that. And so um, as it relates to hospice and palliative care, um, we've historically known um, that we have not been able to um, admit African-Americans at the end of life as we'd like to. And there are Lots of reasons for that. Many times we've looked at the cultural barriers in terms of the perception of hospice, particularly in Black communities. And so uh, as we began to think about the, of the need that is out there and the fact that with chronic illnesses, African-Americans generally are the ones who have higher percentages of things like cancer and stroke, um, and diabetes, um, pulmonary disease, renal failure. And so it's a population of individuals that really could use our services. And so um, in increasing access to me is one of the main reasons why we need to consider diversity, equity, and inclusion, that we need to make sure that the services that we provide are available to all of our citizens and that we're proactive in making sure that they have a seat at the table for this kind of care. 
I think the second thing around diversity, equity, and inclusion is that oftentimes, in my experience, we don't really have a lot of um, employees of color on our staff in hospice. Um, don't I don't mean any offense when I say this, Chris, um, and you and I have known each other for a while now. Most of our organizations are pretty lily white. And so we are missing out on the richness of having a diverse culture inside our hospices where we can take advantage of those ethnic differences, be able to understand uh, through their lens what those communities might need that we otherwise would not know about if we didn't have um, those kinds of employees employed by us. So when we think about um, Hispanics and African-Americans, when we think about the LGBTQ communities, all of those bring a richness uh, to the care delivery. And I believe we need to start with that from the inside out. So those are my two top things. And those are two incredibly important. In fact, you and I get to serve on our TCN Equity, Diversity, Inclusivity Steering Committee, as well as our advocacy group meeting. And um, first off, we have a blast with each other, and we actually have a lot of diversity in that group. And it's just so fun. And I've used that analogy a couple of times. I grew up in South Louisiana, and incredible food that is so soulful because it comes from so many different ingredients as part of what makes a culture special. And to me, that's a beautiful metaphor that, you know, our organizations, the more diverse we become – um, it's like that. You, and you don't lose the individuality of what each person brings, but together, That's right. this amazing synergy. And we're obviously missing that whenever we don't have that in our teams at a, a IDG level, leadership level, board level, every aspect. And, um, you know, you and I both, we love this type of care. Hospice care is so special. And the fact oh, that. Oh, yes. And to know that so many underserved communities. Um, or communities are co- of color, Hispanic communities, African-American communities, that has always broken my heart. And it mm-hmm. seems like no one's ever kind of broken that barrier. There are a couple of people that made a couple of wins, but just you know, throughout the country, and, and you and I have talked before, I mean, there's historical reasons where we've betrayed, yes. we've betrayed the confidence of the African-American community with health care. Any, any ideas that, um, that you've seen work in, in terms of reaching certain communities uh, throughout your career? Yeah, I think the thing that's really important, and I've had the opportunity over um, my time, um, it was probably about uh, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, I had the opportunity to work with a cancer screening project at one of the health systems here in Columbia, South Carolina. And we were um, uh, looking at how we can improve screenings among African Americans for five different types of cancers breast cancer, prostate cancer, uh, colon cancer, um, and um, the the GYN cancers, lung cancer, et cetera. And so what we began to do in terms of looking at um, breast cancer screening and prostate cancer screening, we knew that we had to get outside of the box. So often we want people to come to us. We, you know, what I love about our industry is that we're not going to turn anyone away. But what I see that we need to do differently is we need to be proactive and really go to the communities. Uh, and so with this particular project that we had, we, um, we started rolling mobile mammography vans into the communities of color that we wanted to serve. We started using faith community outreach and started providing uh, prostate cancer screenings with blood tests 
taking it to the faith communities and particularly those black churches. We started putting information into barbershops and hair salons, you know, in my community, uh, a lot happens at the hair shop. I mean, there's a lot of discussion that goes on around what's happening at home and, and who's doing what, you know, this kind of stuff. And as well in the barbershops as well. And so I do believe um, a key for success is really creating those authentic partnerships that are trusting. And that doesn't happen overnight. You know, that's the kind of thing that you've got to build over time. And um, that we're going to engage with communities, not just about what we can get from them in terms of referrals, but how can we partner and be a real genuine uh, um, uh, collaborator in communities that need assistance? You know, for example, uh, some of our programs are really great about partnering with faith churches and providing educational support around bereavement. Right now, with the grief that has really racked our nation and in our communities, if hospices could provide bereavement support services, either virtually or on site, in a community where they've had so much loss, that would go a long way to bring healing and also allow for our communities to see hospice in a different light. Not just as those who show up on your doorstep because somebody's going to die in a couple of days, but someone who wants to help you to live and to uh, help you to heal with those emotional hurts. Bereavement is one of those things that we're very familiar with. As you know, it's a part of the Medicare conditions of participation. So it's the kind of thing that uh, would really garner a lot of um, genuine um, goodwill you know, to do those kinds of programs that are going to bring people together and to help them heal. So um, I believe that, you know, from the things that we've been able to do, most recently we did some outreach around advanced care planning. Uh, and we took the programs to the people, not waiting for the people to come to us. You know, a lot of times they say, well, if you build it, they'll come. No, you've got to get a key influencer in that community someone who already has the respect of the community and build that relationship with them and then walk through that door with an authentic partnership. And there's so many pastors in Black communities in particular I'll speak to who have such goodwill among their parishioners who are doing wonderful things in terms of trying to build up the neighborhoods or they've got all kinds of social projects that are going on. And so all we need to do is to make, uh, make an appeal and really say, hey, we want to be here to help. What can we do? And then listen and then look at ways that you can bring that additional support. Um, you know, that's not something that happens overnight, as I said earlier, but it's a start. And as you begin to do that and people see that you really are genuine, that you're not just coming to our community because you want to get something, but yeah. you're coming to our community because you want to give something. Man, there's so much wisdom there, Marissa. You know, did you ever read Otis Brawley's book, How We Do Harm? Um, he's an American. Oh. He's an African American, incredible physician. I think he was the head of the American Cancer Society, and several things mm -hmm. in what you just said came back to me. And he he was painting the picture more of kind of where cancer care has failed the African American community. That's one of many mm -hmm. angles within his book. Is why it's called How We Do Harm. Um, but yeah. there's just several things that you just said that I've heard in different venues, but for some reason it just sunk in. We we have a um, African American pastor, one of our TCM members. 
um, and he's a pastor of a community in Charlotte. And he kept saying that. He's like, you don't understand the role that the church plays in the African-American community and that you've got to do life with them. And I think that so many hospices are looking for a quick fix. Like, you know, we, we put the people out on the street and you get the referral. This feels yeah. like there's this is not a quick fix thing is kind of what I'm taking it's away from not. <laughs> It's not a quick fix. And when you look at Martin Luther King, you know, um, the church was where he began the movement for social change, for the civil rights movement, um, to create equality for all people, and particularly his people, who he saw that were disenfranchised, who he saw were not getting um, equal health care, equal education, or access to, you know, or, you know, when we say separate but equal, that doesn't work, because if it's separate, it definitely is not equal. And so um, I recently watched a documentary that's really powerful called The Power to Heal. And it was about the Medicare um, movement during the Johnson era and how during that time um, there was um, this pushback for the Medicare benefit as we know it now in terms of the Medicare program to provide hospital care under Part A. And so many of the individuals in the South those senators and legislators, you know, they were they were not wanting to feel that because what Johnson was wanting to do was to integrate the hospitals. And there was a lot of pushback about that. And so when you think about what can we do, um, we have to understand that a lot of times for us, the faith um, aspect of how we live our lives is key. And so anything big that has happened with our uh, with our community oftentimes has its roots in the faith era. It's, it's rooted in our belief that God is going to get us through. Um, and when you think about slaves coming over and the ability to, to sing songs and to encourage each other that we're going to get through, uh, we're going to get through this. So there's a huge belief in faith. And so Martin Luther King was able to do so much. And it began with pastors uh, in the community. And so um, I think we're missing something when we don't partner with a faith community um, focus. Now, you know, um, my young people, they're in their 20s. And, you know, even though um, they grew up in the church, you know, now they're in college. Right, Chris. So they don't really want me to talk to them about going to church. But I don't care even if a person doesn't go to church. They've got a grandmother who prays. They have a grandfather who was probably a deacon somewhere. And so they have that as their root and as their base. And the leaders that they know have that as their base. And so I believe that that's an area that we've missed in terms of not really cultivating those kinds of partnerships. Well, the thing that the board member comes to mind whenever I'm just listening to you, he said something that... I just heard in a different way, and, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but my interpretation is that the church in African-American community plays a broader role than just a church. Yes, it feeds people spiritually, but in some respects, it's like the social knitting of the community. Um, and absolutely, it, it really can be, Chris. Um, I know in my community, there are two large churches, and really some of the denominations have, paid, uh, have played a huge role in terms of health. You know, when you think about the AME denomination, African Methodist Episcopals, they have been very involved in diabetes education and work around diabetes. There are others, uh, churches in my community, they even have their own credit union. So they're working with the community on financial literacy. We have other programs that are doing things related to helping children with education 
or they're working with teenage mothers, or they're working with seniors and helping them in terms of providing food and, and helping them get their insurance plans together. Uh, so there, so it's it's a hub, but life as you know it, faith is the core, but there are also those other elements of, of, of life that the church is also speaking to. Thank, thank you for unpacking that. I think that's got some incredible pearls that I think people will hear that in an important way. Mm-hmm. Well, Marcet, when you and I, and I think you're the first person that kind of schooled me on this, is like we didn't get into this situation overnight. We're not going to get out of it overnight. So you've got to take, here's what we got to work on today, but you have to take a long-term view. And I believe you've taught me that. So what mm-hmm. advice might you have when people kind of do the, you know, we use the vision of the eagle analogy in TCN. When an eagle <laughs> flies, it's looking out towards the horizon. What would be some pieces of advice as people look more longer term, some things they need to be thinking about or at least having on their broad, maybe strategic plan or task list, whichever word you want to use? Yeah, I think, first of all, that people want to begin with their their mission and their vision and their guiding principles. So that's a, a thing that sometimes, you know, I know people think, well, that could be probably be pretty quick, but it depends on where you are and what is the culture of your organization. So you want to begin at the board level uh, in terms of looking at uh, getting the pulse of the board around this whole issue of equity, diversity, and inclusion. Oftentimes I hear um, um, hospice employees say to me, well, you know, it's not a priority to my organization. And it's not a priority because the leadership have not made it a priority. It's one of the things that I love about TCN and in our work together, that you guys have made this a priority. And so I think you begin at that board level and you also begin looking at diversity at the board level. And then over time, what can we do to diversify our workforce? And if we find that we have been not going to the traditional places, how do we create partnerships with um, higher institutes of learning who may have some of these wonderful pearls of diverse uh, students that might either want to do an internship with our organization, that may want to be employed by our organization. Uh, There are many um, historical Black colleges and universities where this could be done with social works and nursing, et cetera. So I do think you want to look at your workforce. And then thirdly, um, I believe that, um, well, there are two more things. Uh, Thirdly, I feel like we need to do those kinds of things that raise awareness about implicit bias in our organizations, that we begin that education process. Uh, We began to uh, do small things. Maybe we have a book club. Maybe we bring in uh, a speaker. Uh, We do some things to sort of raise our awareness of uh, how we do business and how we have to have a cultural lens when we deliver care. And then fourthly, Uh, I do believe that we cannot do this in silos. So we need to partner with organizations who literally serve the communities that we want to serve. It might not be a church. It might be uh, it might be the NAACP if they're a very active chapter. It might be a sorority or fraternity who's got the pulse of that community. It could definitely indeed be a faith community, but it may also be some of the other service organizations whose um, whose footprint is really with African-Americans and others uh, in Hispanic communities and find out what they have learned and, and partner with them. We don't have to reinvent the wheel, but we do need to partner with others to, to deliver this care. So those are the things that I would think about. That's great wisdom. Well, any final closing thoughts? 
Um, I just say keep going. You know, it's hard work sometimes. It's not easy. And you can, you can truly get discouraged at times. But when you begin to survey the need, the need um, outweighs our discomfort. And so we have to really keep persevering to provide this care to everyone who needs it. And I'm still passionate about this. After 40 years, I still believe that we can make this happen and we can get it to the people who need it. So, Amen. Well said. Well, Marissa, thank you for taking the time. And I'm going to leave our listeners with two quotes. Once again, I couldn't do one quote this week because you, you gave me a good one and I had one. I thought, well, these are two good bookends themselves. <laughs> So the first yeah. one, first one is from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Faith is taking the first step, even when you don't see the whole staircase. Mm-hmm. And then that this is one, so good. <laughs> this one that Morissette brought forward: History, despite its wrenching pain, cannot be unlived. But if faced with courage, need not be lived again. And that's from Maya Angelou. Thanks Amen. to listening to TCN Talks.